I'm Phaedra Polychronis. And I'm Sarah Goldblatt. And this is the third episode of Low Point, the podcast about hitting rock bottom and what comes next. I'm gonna die. This is this is how it ends. I had nothing. Then I I got even worse. I felt more and more isolated from everyone around me and I'm getting sadder and sadder about it. That sort of sent me into a tailspin. Everyone has a dark chapter. Today, we're going to talk to Cord Jefferson, a writer and journalist. Cord is going to talk about his mother's illness and his evolving relationship to things beyond his control. Cord, thanks for coming in. As you know, we, we talked briefly yesterday, but the theme is low point. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's sort of to observe, sort of looking back on something that happened in your sort of recent history or not so recent history that really stands out as a low point yeah. as as something that you know a, a space in which you felt maybe trapped or contained or that you, you know took everything over mm-hmm. um so maybe to start i wonder how would you if you have thoughts about this how would you define lo- a, what a low point is as like a dictionary definition yeah. in one's life um <clears throat> i don't know i i think that f- it, it changes for everybody right i think that i have been um, I've been lucky enough in my life to sort of uh, have some privilege, and so I think that you know I've never been homeless or I've never been addicted to drugs or alcohol or anything. So um, I've never I, like I was thinking of like rock bottom is I, I've, I've, my rock bottom looks different from somebody else's rock bottom, right? So um, a low point for me though uh, in the way that I've lived my life would I think would be um, sort of being inert. Um, uh, powerlessness and uh, uh, feeling like um, you're just stuck in a place and you can't do anything about it and you sort of uh, lack control over the mm-hmm. situation. I'm terrified of flying nowadays. I get really, really, really? freaked out by flying. Yeah, and I, I used to not be a thing for me when I was a kid. But um, the the more that I've talked it over with people, the more uh, is I realize that it's a lack of control, that I don't have uh, control over the, the plane, somebody else does, and that... Uh, in in an emergency situation, if, or if anything were to go wrong, then, then my sort of life is in somebody else's hands, and I don't like that feeling. Um, I don't like to go on the highway with other people driving. If it's just kind of like places around town, it's fine, but mm-hmm. I don't like to, if, if we're going fast on the highway somewhere, I like to be in control of the car. I don't like being in the passenger seat. Um, all of those things in my life are, uh, I, I realize that I've like built, like I said, I've built my life around control, and when I'm not in control, it starts to, I start to worry. And so, I mean, you know, you know, I I've talked to my therapist about this. I, the uh, like I don't have a wife or children because I realize that if you have a wife or children, then you sort of have to start making your decisions based on what other people want you to do, and and uh, that's something that, that that eventually, if I do want a wife or children, which I think that I do, you're going to have to sort of cede control of your life over to other people, and that's very difficult for me. I've known that for a while. It's 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 hard for me to do. And that's getting harder and harder. Like with the plane, you used to. It was it just that you didn't think about it when you got in a plane, and suddenly it started getting. Yeah, and now I consider it a lot. I think about it all the time, the whole time I'm in the air. So what do you do to get through a flight? Just white knuckle it. Yeah. Do you feel a, a new, new, newly emerged sort of camaraderie with other people on the plane? I tend to really c- yeah. try to connect to the person the, uh, next to me. The, the, the close <laughs> when was, you hold hands. Yeah. The, uh, the one time I was uh, last year, I was coming into New York, and uh, 
the the flight was mostly fine until we were landing, and then it was raining in New York, and there was some weather, and so the turbulence started happening when we when we were sort of on our approach, and um, the guy sitting next to me uh, was was a nineteen year old kid, and he was like, "Hey, man," he was like, "Is everything okay?" I was like, "Yeah." Oh, was that bad? Yeah, and he was and. uh, Oh no, he 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 was asking me. I know. He saw me. It, it, oh, what yeah. I mean is, it was so I was like, palpable. Yeah, I was like rubbing my legs, and he had never flown before. I found out this was his first plane flight, and he was like totally fine with it. It's like, and bro, do you need a hug? Yeah, and he he started rubbing my back. Oh my god! Yeah, he like reached oh, over. Oh, I love those he moments. He reached over and was like, and rubbing my back. It was like the nicest thing. It was like this nineteen-year-old kid that until I just you met. landed. Yeah, and he was he was like, it's gonna be all right, man. It's gonna be all right, and it was incredible. What did you say? I was like, thanks. Thank and you, you were just, so you were able to accept there was no my, ego, like, yeah. okay. Kid. Yeah, no, I, didn't, I wasn't, you know, it, it helped. And then afterward, we just kind of parted ways. I was like, thanks, man. It's like, beautiful. you're welcome. That is really beautiful. Yeah, it was touching. Yeah. That's all you need. Yeah. I like that kid. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> should we direct back into full blown depression here? Yeah. Or? Let's do it. <laughs> well, Let's wait. go. I'm all, I'm all about it. I mean, I think just to build on that and transition, yes. transition in in what we call low points. I think there there are many different phases, and people talk about the five stages of grief or the you know the levels or or w- even in a tiny experience like yours, there's a moment perhaps when you feel completely alone and turned into yourself, and then mm-hmm. there's that moment where you receive that sort of pat on the back, and suddenly you feel a level of connection with with the outside world that you yeah. hadn't felt before, you didn't think you were capable of. So that's something to keep in mind as Absolutely. we as we explore this. But if you want to sort of jump in and talk about your 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 low point and how how that whether that came to mind automatically, whether you had to sift through a few, um, how you thought of it, and sort of just yeah. <clears throat> so I initially, w- when we talked about this initially, I thought that my low point was going to be when my mother died and my, and my mom died uh, in January of this year. Um, but in thinking about it after we got off the phone, I realized that <clears throat> my lowest point actually was uh, when she was diagnosed with breast cancer, uh, which is two years prior. And I realized that um, – so – Going back to what I was talking about about powerlessness is 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 uh, I had never felt sort of less in control than when when my mother was diagnosed with breast cancer. Um, you realize that one of the hardest things is this that this person that you love dearly is sort of uh, you know deeply deeply ill and you can't do anything about it. <clears throat> it's not it's not in your control at all. <clears throat> uh, you know, medical professionals sometimes can't do anything about it, um, and so. That sort of sent me into a tailspin for for a while. Um, that that this this person who was the most important person to me in the world, uh, you know, was very sick, and that and that there was nothing that I could do to help. Um, and so I dealt with that for for until she died, and and then I, I sort of it was after she died, uh, I realized that <clears throat> her death was actually less hard for me. Than the initial diagnosis because when she's initially diagnosed, you sort of, I sort of, you begin to prepare yourself for the for the possibility that that she may die, you know, that this person may die. So I was mentally preparing myself for that for two years, and um, so when it actually happened, it was, um, you know, it hurt a lot, but it wasn't. 
a shock. It wasn't sort of out of the blue the way that the initial diagnosis was. The initial diagnosis was really sort of the gut punch. How did you hear about how how did the did, did you receive the diagnosis? Were you there with her? Yeah, no, no. She uh, she I remember she called. She emailed uh, my brothers and I one morning and said that um, they'd found a lump in her breast and that they were um, going to do a biopsy and, sh and 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 see what it was and see if it was benign <clears throat> or malignant. And uh, they I think the biopsy took about a week and then. Um, uh, I was working at home when I was working. I was at Gawker when she when when she was diagnosed, and so I was working at home in LA. And uh, she, I got a phone call, and she said that uh, she had breast cancer, and then the the results came back, and she she was she had cancer. And so um, we talked for a little bit, and she said that they she really trusted her doctor. She really liked her surgeons. That they had a they had already discussed with her the sort of the therapies that they wanted to to use, and they were going to be aggressive with it. Um, and that they had a plan of attack, so she wasn't um, so concerned because there was, you know... There was a plan. Yeah, there was mm -hmm. a plan in place. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, it put me at ease a little bit to hear her um, put on that brave face, but, um, you know, I was very, very scared for the most part. And <clears throat> actually, you know what? I, God, I wasn't even a gawker. I was a, that I, I had left journalism at that point. I was working in television. So it was a, that, was a, that was a really difficult... Um, it's a really difficult period because I had, at that point, I had left journalism. I had worked on one TV show, or I was I was in the middle of working on one TV show, but it was almost over, and I didn't really have a plan plan in place for, for what I was going to do after that. I didn't really have a, any job prospects, um, and so adding that news on top of it was was uh, was horrible. So um, were you at home? But yeah, I was yeah. in bed, and um, it was, uh, you know, it it was. Uh, I, I have had, uh, you know, my share of problems in, in my life, uh, but for the most part, they've been, uh, you know, pretty bougie problems. And then I've lived, lived, I've lived a pretty privileged life and, and I've sort of, um, I've had some, some hardship now and then, but, uh, this was, you know, it was, it was shocking. Like, the, you know, stuff like that didn't happen to me and it didn't happen to my mom. Um, she... You know the 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 I guess like darkly funny, but but she you know my dad, um, my father smoked for for decades and decades. Uh, my mother hardly ever drank. Um, you know I'm talking like one glass of wine every few months maybe. Um, she became a vegetarian when she was. 62 because I gave her a book to read called Eating Animals and, and changed her mind about about uh, eating meat. So she uh, and she even when she was was she eating, was eating meat she ate incredibly healthily um, her whole life. And if anything, I would have you know I would have guessed that my father would be the sick one and she um, that that wasn't the way that it was. Uh, so it just. If there's anything that really sort of it, it just knocked the wind out of my sails. It was so confusing, and and like I said, I, it's nothing had made me feel more powerless in my mm -hmm. whole life. You know, nothing had um, nothing had made me feel sort of more useless, and then and and, uh, and and you know, it's especially painful when it's somebody who's so important to you, and you can't do anything to help them. 
So did you then get, um, I, I know that some people in these situations then get extremely involved with the doctors and the medical aspect and just put all their trust in like, this therapy is going to work and this is the prognosis and we can, was that one of the routes you took at some point? Or? Yeah, n no, I was never, uh, you know, I'm, um, no, I felt I, it's, I didn't want to be that, that guy who was, you know, um, getting in the doctors' way and like calling the doctors and telling them that they, they sort of, you know, that's, it, I had to trust that they knew how to do their jobs, you know. It's like on the plane I have to trust the pilot knows how to do his job and that I, I sort of, me freaking out and sort of like knocking on the cockpit and saying, are you sure that everything's going on, on okay, going okay up here? Uh, that I had to sort of be hands off and, and I knew that she really liked her doctors. I met her doctors. I met, I met her surgeons um, and I really liked them all. Uh, but at a certain point I didn't want to get in the way. I, you know, the, the, um, there was a uh, there was a point when she was sick that uh, that I think about this where where um, we were at a restaurant one time and she was you know she was very visibly sick for a lot of it and uh, this waiter came up and started talking to her about like some cockamamie miracle cancer cure oh, that like God. that like that that doctors don't want you to know about and like it's a special plant that grows in Mexico and I remember being so mad at him i was so mad um i didn't say anything but i but i wanted to sort of get up and 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 beat the shit out of him i i, I was so furious that i mean you know that that like who does this person think he is coming up and like with this like nonsense right like it's, yeah. it's just it's crazy um but uh you know when the guy left i i, I expressed to my mother how angry i was and she said uh you know she said that that uh, she said she doesn't that happened to her before and that she said like she's like that's just people trying to show love like it's just that's just somebody like trying to help another person and like I don't think it's gonna work but he's just you know he's just trying to show me love and like I appreciate that and uh, you know it, it was very much in her nature to say something like that um, but. Yeah, I never wanted to be a person like that. I never wanted to be, um, I never wanted to get in the doctor's way and like research all this stuff and and like research miracle cures and sort of like look at different therapies that people weren't trying. I, uh, you know, at the end of the day, I think that would just make everybody a little bit more crazy, especially myself. So I was hands off. I, uh, I, I, I gave her as much support as I could. I was there as much as I could. Um, I visited her much more often than I, than I had ever done before which i kind of regret um regret not visiting her rather not not i regret visiting her more um but there's yeah the the uh a lot of it was just kind of i think that was the, the, when i when i talked about the powerlessness as i that that's uh you know that's the reality of it you can't you can't do anything you know you can't you can't unless I became an oncologist overnight and sort of started researching cancer cures and, and sort of took over her treatment myself, there was nothing that I could really do. Um, was there sort of a period between the prognosis and actually knowing like what was like, yeah, what was going to be done? Yeah. So and did that was, kind of change your, well, what, well, what was also scary from the beginning is they find out that she had a, she had, um, I, God, I, I believe it's type, it's type three, breast cancer, mm -hmm. which is like a particularly, a particularly aggressive kind of breast cancer. 
um, and doesn't um, there's it 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 uh it's sort of the treatments are, are fewer for that kind of breast cancer. Um, I, I, I don't know medically how to describe it, but I just know that the treatments are fewer for, for the kind of breast cancer she had. So early on, the prognosis was went from sort of bad to worse. and then um, But she got a mastectomy um, about nine or ten months after the initial diagnosis, after they tried, um, after they tried chemotherapy. Um, and that didn't work. She got a mastectomy. And then after the mastectomy, um, they tested her, I think, in November, December of 2014. No, maybe January of 2015. And they found no cancer in her uh, anymore. And it didn't spread to the lymph nodes or anything. And she uh, it's appeared to be going well. And then in March... March of last year, she came to visit me in New York, and it was the first trip that she'd taken since she, since her diagnosis. It was the first time she was able to to uh, be away from the doctors in the hospital and, and all that. And um, she came to visit me for about a week, and it was great. It was at the end of March, and then she went back to Arizona in April, and they tested her again, and they found that the cancer had spread um, and that it was... Um, it spread to her lymph nodes, and it, it, it was uh, it had pierced her chest, so ne- so she had skin cancer on her chest, um, and then it just kind of spread throughout her body from there. And they tried to, they tried chemotherapy again, but it just didn't work. It was too aggressive, and so she uh, they, she went into hospice care in December of last in December of 2015, and then she uh, she, she passed away in January January 20th. Of uh, of this year, 2016. Who were the people in your life at this time? Um, I had like I have a I have a lot of good friends in in New York, but but um, I'm also, you know, I have a I have a uh, a problem. Maybe that sounds crazy. It was in this context, <laughs> considering that I'm sharing all this with you guys. But I have a I have a problem like kind of calling upon people to share. When I'm feeling bad, um, that's not it's it's not something that comes naturally to me. Mm-hmm. Um, I I have a, no problem doing a therapist because I'm paying that person to be there with me. But otherwise, I don't. I I didn't tell anybody at my office that my mother was sick. Um, I I didn't I didn't share that with any of my coworkers because I, I just don't want people's pity. So I so I never told any of them that my mother had cancer. Um, Anytime that anybody would ask about my mother, I would say she's doing fine. Because I just, I don't, um, I just didn't, I don't ever want people to feel sorry for me. And I feel like um, it's it's human nature. If you find out that somebody's mother is dying, you're just going to treat them differently. You know, I think mm-hmm. that it's a human, human nature to do that. And I didn't want people interacting with me that way. I didn't want people's interactions with me to be like, there's cord with the sick mom, I wanted them to just say like, there's cord, let's mm-hmm. interact with him the way that I would always interact with him. Um, so I didn't, so I, while I was, I was surrounded by a lot of good friends, none of them knew that my mom was sick. Um, and that's probably, I think that ultimately that's, you know, that's, um, uh, pro- probably a poor decision. It made my life harder for myself, but, uh, but also, you know, that was just that was my way of going about it. That's what, it's what made me feel comfortable. 
Um, and I'd probably do it over again just because I, I, it's, it's more valuable to me to have people treat me like myself and have people interact with me the way that I'd like to. So it goes back to control, right? Like mm -hmm. I want to control my mm -hmm. interactions. I don't want, I don't, I want to control how people see me right. and how, and how people talk to me. Um, and I don't want people to, uh, come to me with their pity and their sympathy. So I sort of controlled that environment the best that I could. So what happened when she passed away and you did get a lot of expressions of, of sympathy and condolences and how did that that was not it was that that's that was nice that was great and and uh you know i had at her at her uh funeral i had a ton of a lot of friends fly in from all around the country um to to be there with me and to, to attend her funeral um and that was that was that was great but it was to me it was um that was easier to accept because there was a finality to it it was over mm -hmm. you know it was mm -hmm. you know um so sort of it, it's like uh, it just felt like that that sort of like purge of those emotions felt like, okay, like, let's experience this. And then now it's done. You know, it's it's um, it's I think it may sound dark to people who have never experienced something like this. Uh, but I think I've talked to other people who have lost, you know, parents or siblings due to illness and and um a thing that a lot of the, us have agreed upon is that you know, I never, I never wished, f I don't, I, I never wished for my mom to die, but when she did die, there was like a, a sense of relief, you know, that this was like over. She's not suffering anymore. She's not going through this like turmoil that she'd been going through for two years, you know. Um, that so there is a relief that just like you can just sort of. There's, it's like a weight off your chest, you know, this pressure that had been building up for two years was, um, you can let go of it, you know, and you start to start the rebuilding process and start the healing process. So that's how that felt is, is all receiving all those kinds of like kind words and, 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 uh, letters of support and notes of support from a lot of people was, it was very nice and comforting, but I was happy to have it sort of in that very contained time and then move on from it. Mm -hmm. So, so your mom was the most important person in your life. Mm -hmm. Was this kind of, I mean, not that you were ever thinking about this probably, but I mean, yeah. you know, we all know that like, we're going to, we're all going to die. Yeah. I mean, was this kind of the lowest point in your mind that you had ever imagined would happen? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, no, I think that, I, th I think that, um, no, the, 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 uh, it did. It, it was the lowest. I mean, like I said, I, I, I came from like, I came from like a pretty easy background. Uh, yeah. So there, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't envision a lot of tragedy in my life. You right. know, of course, I expected my parents to die, but you know, I, for, you know, and maybe this is a, um, a preface to this story is that my father had uh, I've don't uh, so my father had kidney failure in 2007 um, and was on dialysis and needed a kidney transplant and so in 2008 I donated my kidney to my dad um, oh, wow. and he's been fine and healthy ever since um, so you know in my mind like when your parents get sick they fix it you know you can fix this yeah and so that that prior to my mother being ill, that was the closest I'd ever come to like real tragedy, um, and we fixed it, and he was fine. He's still fine. Uh, so when my mother got sick, you know, it seemed like 
possibly they could fix it, but it just seemed much graver almost immediately. And, you know, when things started, when she started getting really ill, I sort of had to make peace with the fact that she may die. So I would say that I, it's, it's, it wasn't something that I'd ever envisioned. It, was, it, was, it wasn't something, you know, I, I thought my mom was going to, like, play with my children one day. Um, so, but it, it's certainly, like, the lowest that I, that I ever, you know, like I said, I, I, I hadn't really anticipated ever facing tragedy. I don't think anybody does. I was very calm. I remember being very calm on the phone uh, uh, when she told me. When she told me that she had cancer, I remember um, you know, talking to her because she was, she was relatively calm and, and sounded even keel. And, uh, you know, that's what the moment felt like. Felt like there's no reason to freak out right now because there's there's a plan of attack and there's I'm working with really good doctors and oncologists and surgeons so um that's how I took it and then um I got off the phone and I and I uh I sat up in bed and it was, everything seemed fine uh you know it, it was strange it was kind of like a moment of calm and um I called my girlfriend at the time and, and told her that um my mom, my mom has cancer, and she said she was going to leave work and come over. And I sat there kind of in silence for about ten minutes, and that, and then I started crying. I cried. I started really. I started weeping, like really weeping hard, in a way that I hadn't cried since I was a kid, probably. Um, and you know, the, I think that the the sort of intensity of that of that moment. I don't know. I don't know what the delayed response was. It's. Uh, that's kind of how, how it felt throughout the throughout the course of her illness. You know, I, I would uh, I would cry at random moments. I wouldn't cry necessarily when I was talking to her on the phone. I wouldn't I wouldn't cry or, or, or really sort of feel deeply sad um, when I was talking to her or when I was in her presence or, or when I was uh, thinking about her. But certain things would set me off. I think that. The, I guess the I guess I'm not answering your question well. Uh, I don't know that it ne there was never really any like physical manifestations or 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 or, or like real. The, I mean the gut punch. I just I meant that it was just out of nowhere. Um, the I don't know. Am I? I'm not answering your question. Am I? Well, I kind of have. Was there sort of a pattern of things that would like thoughts that would set off the weeping? Mm. Um, yeah, the, 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 uh, you know, prior, the, the thing that really hurt, hurt me and got to me when she was sick is that, uh, is, is, um, how scared she was that, uh, that I couldn't do anything that she, she would tell me sometimes that she was very scared. And that goes back to the sense of powerlessness is that I could, I couldn't do anything to make her not scared. Um. There's nothing. Scared of dying or scared yeah, of... Yeah, she was afraid of dying. And, um, you know, what... I couldn't offer anything. I would offer my support and tell her I loved her. Um, and I would sit with her when I was when I was there with her. I couldn't do that when I was on the phone, obviously. But there was nothing that I could do. Um, and so I would, if I ever sort of started thinking about how just she felt scared um, mm -hmm. and was afraid, you know... That's, I mean, 
I would have loved to have found a way to, to make her unafraid, but I can't do that. I couldn't do that. It's out of my hands. And um, the thing that the thing that still gets me is, uh, you know, is that she'll, if I have children, she'll never meet them. That uh, rather they'll never meet her. That that like that that hurts me. Um, Cause she's uh, she was a really special person, and so I think that it would have been. Um, I would have loved for them to see, you know, this person who who's so integral to making me who I was, mm-hmm. um, and that's painful. That's still really painful. Do you feel like during that period, or even now, you have just moments where where childhood memories or just memories and sensations and things will sort of sprout up out of nowhere? Yeah, I th- I, I think about my mother every day. I think about my mother every hour, um, and it is. Um, it's anything, you know, I, I, I started writing down a list of like the times that I think of her. Um, and it's like, if I smell her perfume, um, if I, uh, see some food that she likes, her favorite color was green. I think about that whenever I wear this green jacket. Um, I think of her all the time. Um, movies that she liked, songs that she liked, um, places in the world that she liked. Uh, it's, it's and, and the thing, like I think about her far more now I think than before she died, um, but I, I yeah she's in everything now. That day doesn't go by that I don't think of her. You know when you go to hospice care, it's, it doesn't mean that you're going to die immediately. You know they say that you can be in hospice for a year or two. That just means they're going to stop treating your, going to stop trying to fight your cancer. Um, so the cancer may may progress slowly, and you may live for a long time, or it may progress quickly. And my mother's progressed quickly, but so she went into hospice care in um, December, and and uh, the my boss and everybody at my job was kind enough to just let me. I I told them that my mother was going into hospice care, and, and they told me just go and buy one way ticket home and come back whenever you feel like you can come back. Um, and I'm incredibly I'll forever be incredibly grateful to them for that and um so i went back and i i um the proudest moment the proudest moment in my life is is um spending is spending those last three weeks with her in hospice um and it was uh this is hard for me to talk about um let me take a second um Take a minute. Yeah. Five, ten. She, um, you know, I, I, uh, I was like finally able to take care of her the way that she had taken care of me my whole life. And, um, you know, you can just do tangible things, you know, I was able to bring her food and, uh, Hold on a second, I'm sorry. Please. <clears throat> you know, I was I was able to do the things that she had done for me forever, and I was able to sort of tangibly show love for her and care for her in a way that um, I hadn't done before in my life, really. Um, you know, she was immobile, and she was stuck there, and so... Um, I would make sure that she was well fed. I didn't sort of love the food 
she didn't love the food that they were bringing her in the hospice, so I'd go to Whole Foods every day mm. and get her food that she liked and, and healthy food. Uh, I would brush her teeth for her. I would, um, toward the end, she couldn't drink water, so there was a lot of, uh, so I'd had to hold a sponge in her mouth and, and, and sort of give her water that way off the sponge. Um, I could just hold her hand. Um, I read to her a lot. We read a lot. Um, what did you read? Leaves of Grass. Read a lot. I read all of Leaves of Grass to her. Um, it just felt appropriate at that moment. Um, uh, my mother was a religious person, so I read her the Bible a little bit. Um, yeah. The um, I, I held her hand while she died. I held her hand um, as she took her last breath. I kissed her on the forehead. Um, the moment that she died, uh, and that is, um, it's, it was the most important thing that I've ever done to me. Uh, it was the it was, it was the most important moment of my life, and it's sort of um, to be able to give tangible love like that is. It was rare, and it was uh, it was important for me, um, and certainly the most the most special, the most precious thing that I've that I've experienced. Yeah, and that's I'm the most proud of that because I didn't think that I had that in me. Going into it when you flew over, you didn't. No, definitely not. I didn't think I didn't think so. I was going to ask one last thing. Yeah. Um, so what is your final consensus on things that you can't control? The idea of, of control is, I mean, you know, we know this. The idea of control is a myth. You can't really control anything. So I'm trying to learn to let go a little bit. And that what I can't control is how I respond to situations. What I can't control is, is um, what I can do in those moments of sheer terror and what I can do in those moments when... Um, when things are, are at their worst, you know? And that's what, that's what I think that that's the lesson that my mother tried to tell me that day when I was crying in bed with her, is that, you know, it's not, it, it, it would do you no good and it would do me no good if you're just sitting around here feeling sorry for yourself. What you can do is kind of is live your life, keep living your life, and keep doing the things that, that uh, keep you healthy and happy and, and keep doing the work that you're proud of and keep doing, doing, um, keep doing work that you want to show to the world keep doing work that, that makes you happy. Thank you, Corey. Thank you. This has been Low Point. Uh, thank you to Tim Nordwin for uh, composing our jingle and letting us use the studio. Uh, to Derek for producing. To Cord for being here with us today. Uh, this is Phaedra Polychronis. And I'm Sarah Goldblatt.